And now I'm going to read uh, our scripture for today. It comes from the book of Proverbs. It's verse, or chapter 18, verses 6 through 8. A fool's lips bring strife, and a fool's mouth invites a flogging. The mouths of fools are their ruin, and their lips a snare to themselves. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you grew up in a household where you have a sibling, um, I, I'm not going to say this is just uh, relegated to people that have brothers. Uh, I, had, I had two brothers, a twin, and one who's two years older than me, and then I have a sister who's seven years younger, and so there was a lot of mayhem uh, with the two brothers. Um, but if you grew up in one of those type of households, uh, you won't be surprised to hear what I'm about to tell you. That first verse was one of my brother's favorite verses to say to me <laughs> before he would dish out a beating. <laughs> Used to talk about it being one of his favorite verses. And so when I was picking scripture text uh, through the series of Proverbs, I, I started to get a little chuckle. And I said, I'm going to go ahead and include that one in our list, uh, having heard it so many times. But today, you may not know this, today marks an anniversary, or at least an anniversary of sorts, uh, between June 27th and July 6th, and so this coming week essentially, uh, back in 1939. All right, so between, sometime between June 27th and July 6th of 1939, our British allies... Uh, we're getting uh, ready uh, to prepare their nation uh, to what was, has been referred to as kind of a response of sober restraint uh, in, in light of the German war machine uh, that was advancing uh, towards them. And they did that by coining a phrase, and the phrase being, keep calm and carry on. And so during this week in history was when that phrase uh, first appeared uh, back in 1939. And of course, that slogan has found uh, recent use in a number of different places, uh, some helpful, some not as helpful uh, to protecting oneself from a war machine. But as you might imagine, the United States uh, also had its own series of slogans during that Second World War. There's a number of ones that donned different posters and promotional materials. And it was during that, that particular season, at least a couple of years uh, after the British uh, slogan appeared, that there was a real fear that here in our nation, our enemies had infiltrated the homeland and that that infiltration meant that people were listening, spying on us and ready to report back uh, the different movements or things that they would discover. And it was during that time that we created the slogan that you may have heard before, loose lips sink ships, loose lips sink ships. I'm not exactly sure how many ships were sunk by loose lips. But I do know this. Unguarded speech is a real problem. It's a real problem for individuals, and it's a problem for communities. And that's not just coming from me, and it's not just coming from the War Department here in the United States back during the Second World War. But Jewish wisdom writer knew as much as well. And that's what we hear in our text this morning, is from the wisdom writer, the ancient writers knew that these loose lips could be a real trouble for us as people. And we hear that in our text. And so we're going to look at two parts this morning uh, in the text. We're going to deal with it. The text itself actually appears to us in, in two, two distinct parts. 
And as we look at it, we're going to look at these two places. And the first one is this, what we say. And that's going to be the first two verses you see there. There's a, a, a question was posed by a user on Reddit, if you're not familiar with that online forum. They asked the question, what's the stupidest thing someone has said to you in confidence? Right? So with, or with confidence. What's the stupidest thing someone has said to you with confidence? Now, you can imagine right now in your own mind, what's the stupidest thing you've ever heard? I would imagine it would probably not be more than this. If you ever fall out of a plane without a parachute... You should grab onto the ground when you hit it so that you don't bounce because it is the bounce that kills you, not the first impact. <laughs> That's pretty dumb. <laughs> that causes you to raise your eyebrow and say, oh, what? <laughs> if you have the presence of mind while you're falling out of an airplane without a parachute, grab that ground there, don't bounce. We cringe when we hear stuff like that. But the wisdom writer here has something bigger in mind, not just dumb things that we might say from time to time, even when those things are said with confidence. The writer in, in views something much larger here uh, when it talks about the fool's mouth. It says that the fool's mouth literally is their undoing. Take a look at the first two verses that we have in our reading, which form what's called a chiasmus. And what the chiasmus does, you'll see it literally between those two verses, lips, mouth, mouth, lips, uh, right between those two verses. And that's the structure that we're looking at here. And, and what we learn from that structure is something that is evidenced in life uh, for us. The foolish words can mean trouble and not just of the mild kind of sort. We have words like strife and flogging. We see words here of ruin, uh, even a snare. That's how the author puts it. Uh, Tremper Longman, who is a contemporary uh, uh, commentary writer, he observes this, which might be helpful language for us. What fools say triggers punches. <laughs> What fools say triggers punches. And as one other uh, commentator will note, there's an escalation that we see in this first verse. An escalation from verbal damage from what the fool says all the way up to physical damage that comes with that. But here's the thing. We have seen this kind of thing at other stops along the way. Other stops in this series. The fool here, of course, doesn't see the connection between what they say and the trouble here that befalls them. They don't see the connection between what they're doing and the judgment that has come their way. Their intent, of course, may be at this point uh, to cause damage to others, but what happens is the fool is actually damaging themselves all along the way. How different that is from the way that the wise are described throughout Proverbs. The wise are described as those who avoid conflict. Here in Proverbs 20, verse 3, it is honorable to refrain from strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. The second thing we see with the wise in Proverbs is they're people who seek to resolve conflict. And probably one of the, the most vivid pictures of, of someone who is going after conflict is found in Proverbs 26, 17, which really illustrates kind of the fool's steps uh, toward being one who's involved in conflict like someone who takes a passing dog by the ears. Could you imagine in a culture where dogs, for the most part, are seen as kind of this unclean, dirty kind of dog? They're just wild. They don't, people don't normally have them as, as pets. To have a wild dog just walking by you on the sidewalk and then you just grab it by the ears, you're asking to get bit. The author of Proverbs here tells us that that's like 
those who meddle in quarrels of another. They're like those who grab the ears of passing dogs. This, of course, these ideas of being one who, doesn't, who seeks to avoid conflict or seeks to resolve it, that's not the work of the fools. The fools choose a different way. They invite conflict. They stoke the embers of quarrel. Derek Kidner writes this. He says, when he headlines these first two verses, he uses this headline, talking oneself into trouble. That's how he sees the picture of the fool described here in Proverbs. And it follows that idea, again, of inviting and of stoking. And where verse 6 names due punishment, a flogging, and it's a, there's a term there, the actual word behind that could be due punishment awarded by a court uh, here because of your, the, the language you use or the, the words that you use. Verse 7 names something altogether worse. The fool's demise, their ruin, which might be actually speaking to their own death that their words lead to their destruction. And so the warning goes out, goes out to us this morning in regards to what we say, how we conduct ourselves with our mouth, and not just from the Jewish wisdom writer. Maybe you need a modern translation here. We have modern wisdom poets, uh, what I call philosopher poets here. They might say it this way. Don't let your mouth write checks. You can figure out the rest. <laughs> that can't be cashed, right? Or even this, check yourself before you wreck yourself, all right? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And that is no small order. The New Testament author, James, will write uh, in his letter, he'll talk this about the dangers of the tongue. He'll say, a restless evil, it's full of deadly poison. It's not easily tamed, it's not bridled, and from which comes both blessing and cursing. Our mouths come with blessing and cursing, coming out of the same mouth sometimes. The writer will plainly say this, and James says it as plain as can be, this ought not to be so. Not for the people of God, not for people at all. And the caution for us here to guard our speech is also joined here now by a second caution that we find in the third verse of our text. We're to be cautious about what we hear. Not just what we say, but we need to be cautious about what we hear. Here's the talk of the one who's called the whisperer. Now, that's not someone who just has a soft voice talking to you. I remember I went to school with a guy who whispered all the time. I'm not sure why he whispered all the time. He just always whispered. He'd even yell at you in a whisper. So I'm not sure if there was something wrong with his voice, but he always whispered. That's not what we're talking about. The whisperer here is the idea of the one who is the gossip, the tale teller. Of course, on initial reading, we could miss this. We could see this verse actually just by itself as maybe being some kind of positive. I know in our staff meeting this last week, there was a couple of folks as we were looking at this text that were thinking at first, oh, I thought that was a positive verse. I didn't realize that it was a caution uh, to us. But here it's clear uh, when we take note of this particular proverb uh, that we are to take particular note of it. And if you're not sure if that's, you know, if you're going, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of proverbs, you know, why this particular one? Well, you'll be happy to know that this verse, this exact same verse, is repeated later in Proverbs 26, 22. Almost like the editor said, don't miss this one. <laughs> this is an important one for God's people. But is it really that big of a deal? Is gossip really that big of a deal? I mean, come on, right? Is, that, is it that big of a deal? Does it really affect things at all? Well, it certainly was for the Apostle Paul. If you remember uh, the Apostle Paul 
he'll list the gossip as those qualities uh, that he was concerned about when he writes to the church at Corinth. He'll actually list that amongst a number of things in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Apparently, it was one of the signs of a church that is in peril. So if your church is involved in gossip, that's not a good sign. You think about the signs of growth for a community or an organization, gossip is a sign of death and the loss, tremendous loss for that community. It's so uh, serious here um, that the church oftentimes has gotten very sensitive about gossip. Uh, maybe too sensitive. Sometimes the pendulum swings too far another direction. Christianity Today actually ran an article, a cover article back in April, talking about how our approach to stopping gossip has actually lent itself to covering up abuse of church leaders because people have dismissed those bringing charges as saying that they were gossiping. Here we're going we're gonna to say, uh, when we talk about gossip, we're talking about actual gossip, not people that are actually telling the truth about serious abuses that are happening. So when we talk about gossip itself, we recognize that it's not just destructive for the church, as Paul will warn the Corinthians, but it's also destructive in other areas of life. I was reading an article this last week uh, from Inc. that observed office gossip, when permitted to flourish unfettered, can completely destroy the original vision of a culture that was intended to be a source of connectivity and harmony in the workplace. And that article went on to outline some of the trouble that comes with office gossip. Again, this is not in the church, maybe the church office, but in the office, in the workplace, the secular workplace. Here's what they said. It sabotages trust among coworkers. It fosters low morale. It leads to higher turnover. It destroys cohesiveness. And it encourages office politics and backstabbing. That's how gossip operates in the secular world. Let me tell you this, that's how gossip operates everywhere. That's what it does to our communities. It's not just the church or the office. I found far too many articles online this last week that talked about the destructive nature of gossip on the family life, how it destroys relationships and friendships. And so we are to see this, this is toxic, toxic stuff. And something that our text observes is both attractive, which makes it dangerous, it's attractive to us. It's called a delicious morsel, right? We like it. Tell me more. Tell me more. I want to hear it. We savor after it. And here's the other thing. It penetrates our lives. We can't unhear it. The author of Proverbs will say it, it, it goes into the inner parts of our body. We're drawn to it. We turn our ear to it. And then once we hear it, we can't unhear it. We can't get away from it. It's stuck in us. We've ingested it. You heard the old expression, you are what you eat. We eat up gossip and that stuff ruins us. It turns us into a different kind of person. When we talk about the fool bringing ruin to themselves by what they say and the words that they use, gossip does something far more. It ruins everyone. It ruins the person that's speaking the gossip because they speak as a fool. It ruins the person who's the subject of the gossip because we do character assassinations. And it ruins the listener as well because you become not only party to the story, but it colors your lens and your understanding as you look at life. And you can't see people the way they are. You see them the way that the tale speaks. I've been watching the Disney's Raya and the Last Dragon this weekend in my house. 
And there's this, uh, there's this quote that came from the film where it's talking about these things called the drone, which are mindless forces that are menacing and destroying the human uh, family and the dragons. They basically turn everybody into stone, uh, and they're destroying the world. Um, and there's this quote there. It says, a plague born from human discord is where these drones came from. They're a plague that's born from human discord. They've always been here, waiting for a moment of weakness to attack. They're like the opposite of dragons. Instead of bringing water and life to the world, they're like a relentless fire that consumes everything in its wake until there is nothing left except ash and stone. When I heard that quote in the movie, I thought, gossip is that kind of plague. It's that kind of thing. It destroys whole worlds. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid gossip? Well, first of all, Captain Obvious. Don't gossip. Or, stop it. <laughs> Don't be gossiping. And if you have already started, stop! Stop! Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Second is this, we're not to give quarter to gossip. We're not to be ones who provide a shelter or a home uh, for that gossip. In fact, the, uh, who's called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, a hundred years ago was addressing young ministers. And he talked about when you come into a, a church for the first time, how do you handle gossip and how do you handle what he called inherited disputes? People that have had a long-term dispute and they now show up at your office and say, I want to let you know about something that's important you need to know about. And they begin to unload that story uh, from long ago. Here's what Spurgeon's counsel was uh, to those, those young uh, ministers. He says, you've got to have a blind eye and a deaf ear. You've got to have a blind eye and a deaf ear. And here's what Spurgeon said about that. That was his best ear and his best eye. That blind eye and that deaf ear. Because it allowed him... Uh, to go into a place where he wasn't going to give too much of himself to the talebearers, to the gossip. He just wasn't going to allow that to be the story that rewrote his expectation and his experience of people in that community. But it's not just Spurgeon. Proverbs will say this, a gossip reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a babbler. Blind eye, deaf ear. And when we do... There's a benefit to us. There's a benefit. Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. So we're to be on guard on what we say. We're to be on guard to what we hear. Right? We're on guard to what we say and what we hear. That seems pretty straightforward enough. Okay, Jimmy. Thanks. I'm going to behave myself. I'm going to go from here and I'll take that word. Got it. Bible tells me to behave myself. Is that really what God wants for us? Is God really, with this text, trying to say to us, straighten up and fly right? Is that really the only word that God has for us as God's people this morning? That we're to behave ourselves, watch what we say, watch what we hear? Well, if you read the Bible long enough, if you encountered Jesus Christ at all, you know that God takes it another level gives us something more than we might expect, something more than we might imagine. In my life, I might say, you know what? I'm going to behave myself, watch what I say, watch what I hear, and that might feel like I've done a lot. 
But God even says to each one of us, I've got more for you than that. Even more. We hear that in some different places in Scripture. Think about the foolish words that we might get caught up in. Look what God says about the one who brings good news. Right? Not foolish words, but the one who brings good news. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace. Who brings good news. Who announces salvation. Who says to Zion... Your God reigns, Isaiah 52, 7. God doesn't, just want, doesn't want us just to stop saying foolish things. God wants us to proclaim good news and be those messengers who are blessed. And not bitter tales that poison us that we might get wrapped up in in speaking gossip. Look what the psalmist observed about God's word in us. What a different picture not being fed by poison, but rather, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, Psalm 119, 103, or even what Jeremiah observes in chapter 15, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. What does God want for us? Certainly not to be speaking the words of fools. Certainly not to ingest the poison of gossip. But God is also preparing a people who are well-spoken, proclaim good news, and who are well-fed with God's word. May it be so for us in this generation, each day and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you on this day for your great love for us. And as we have pondered and gathered around this word Pray, Lord, that we want to be those people. We want to be those who experience, who experience your word, who proclaim good news. We don't want to be those who speak foolishly. But rather, we want to proclaim the salvation of God. And we want to experience that salvation in ingesting your word. So help us be those people, Lord. Help us today, uh, in this season, in this century, uh, to live as those who have restraint to what we hear and what we say, but even more so, who are open to the good things that you have for us. We come as a grateful people because you have done good things for us and you continue to show yourself good to us. Help us to believe all the more. We pray this in Jesus' name.